I, um, I remember one day, and ugh, this is pretty dark, but I truly, I didn't want to live. And um, so the only good thing about that now is I do at least have an idea of what that feels like. That is Pam Rickard. She's a Northeast Ohio native, an accomplished marathon runner, and ultra-marathon runner. But 13 years ago, she was at the bottom. She was in the depths of despair. She had three DUIs in the span of 18 months. So after a stay in a treatment center to try to clean up her life and a stay in jail, I believe it was for three months, she began to rebuild her life and running has been at the core of that recovery. I've known Pam for the past so many years through the ultra running community, and she exudes a great spirit of thankfulness. And now she works for the Heron Project, which she says has been a great source of comfort for her and also inspiration as well, because the Heron Project helps people clean up their lives, people that were in drug abuse, people that were alcoholics. It is a situation that tries to get everybody's life in order. So I chatted with Pam on Saturday afternoon. This is at the Expo for the Right Aid Marathon. And also at that time, I visited with a local legacy runner, Jim Mackert. What a guy he is. He's 82 years of age. And on Sunday, May 19th, yesterday as I record this, he would complete the marathon and thus is now the only person to run in and complete all 42 Cleveland marathons. Here's Pam and Jim. Pam, you are an ambassador for the sport of running. What's that been like? Wow, that's that's a kind word, actually. I like being called an ambassador for, for the sport of running. <laughs> what else running. should I call you? <laughs> I have many titles, many names, some good, some bad, some in between. Um, no, I love, I think that I've be, I've, I'm an ambassador for the sport because of more, much more for what it's given me sure. rather than what I've, when I've been able to give it. But, uh, but I, but it has, um, it's been along with me on my journey, I think. And that's why I, it, I kind of come by it naturally because I started running, um, as a dare, as a joke when we were at Ohio university and I entered a 5k as a joke, uh, one uh, drunken night, to be honest with you, and the next morning we decided, okay, a we're drunken really night good. in college. Oh, huh? I, I know it was a rare concept. occurrence, but uh, it, it's a little bit ironic now that I'm actually a, a sober runner. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, you know, it was pretty horrible, and uh, you know, I, I I think I lost my cookies and the whole bit. But I I loved, there was something about it I didn't hate, so I start I kept I continued running just um, recreationally and then it took me through pregnancies and jobs and then um, and then and then uh, through recovery through recovery from alcoholism so the neat thing about the sport to me is not only the personal yeah. satisfaction the grace the growth the gratitude that I that I get from it but um, but the the uh, what I see in others, I mean, you know, it sounds a little bit corny, but I love I love the sport so much because it connects people. It just it literally does connect people, and it's to me it's the great equalizer too because you can be any age, any shape, any weight, any yeah. gender, and uh, any economic background, pretty much, and you can. It's a very simple, welcoming, loving uh, environment. Well, Pam, you grew up on the east side. Yes. And uh, you were obviously active as a, as a young lady, but 
you kind of started to go down that path where you were, you know, drinking too much. And yes. what led you to that? What, you know, what were some of the factors? Yeah, actually, John, long story short, as I did, I grew up on the east side. I, I grew up and uh, was born in Willoughby, graduated from Menor High. You know, had a pretty typical charmed existence in terms of, well, you know, my parents were divorced and I was all up, upset about that quite a bit. But overall, though, I was very well taken care of. I got great grades. I, you know, went to Ohio University. <clears throat> I, um, I, never, I, w- I never ran in high school or college, though. I was very much one of those... You know, it was the late 70s, early 80s, and I looked every bit the part. With the big hair, the makeup, I wouldn't have sweat to, you know, for any amount of money, honestly. I, I mean, I love that, that old me. what but is that? No, 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 no. We would, I don't know if you remember, I'm really dating myself now, but there was this, this little place called Elaine Powers for women, right? And you'd go in there and you'd kind of like, it was almost like a Saturday Night Live skit. You know, you'd do a few moves and go, ah, it worked out. Anyway, so that was about <laughs> it for me. And um, maybe a Jane Fonda video in the 80s, but... But when I started running, um, yeah, it was just something that I'm not a good athlete, but I can I can run, and so I kind of found my thing. And um, but when I was in high school and college, I, I yeah I partied, and um, I know that I I truly have the disease of alcoholism and, and was an alcoholic from the first time I drank at 14 years old. But that's all hindsight, and I really didn't didn't know that, nor um, did I acknowledge it until sure. many many years later. So. I am um, what they call a high-functioning alcoholic. Um, it actually kept me sicker much longer than, than it, than I, than I wish it had because I was successful and I could run. I ran seven marathons, active in my, active in my alcoholism. I um, graduated from OU and got a job in Roanoke, Virginia, at the Roanoke Times. And um, honestly, um, married Tom. We had three, <clears throat> three amazing kids and uh so i you know it wasn't the typical story you think of oh the drunk mom or the woman who just was losing it all because of alcohol i never drank when i was pregnant breastfeeding or training for a marathon so kids involved you had the wherewithal and the in the mindset to back off on that absolutely so i thought i had a handle on it even though i would black out even though i knew deep down in my inside that i didn't like the uh the progression but i also honestly felt like I could keep I could get a handle on it and one day turns into the next and I kept failing at getting a handle on it and so kicking it down the road absolutely absolutely so um and it did affect my running but I honestly I uh as as I talk to many runners that are in recovery it's kind of the last thing to go I mean I do remember running and physically being sick but they I wasn't going to not run oh yes Do they say they, they they knew they were kind of spiraling down this little dungeon to hell absolutely. but yet they circling kept running. the drain but circling you continue running absolutely I've heard that story in many many varieties um it's interesting John one thing about the disease of addiction that and now fortunately 13 years sober I've, I've heard a lot of stories and I've been fortunate enough to work in the in the recovery industry as well and uh the one thing that about the disease that kind of, um, especially when I talk to runners, that's that's comforting in a way is that there's really nothing new under the sun. I mean, there are new drugs, there is an epidemic of opioids, there's all these other things that are going on that really we didn't hear of in the past, but really we, we, we use uh, alcohol and drugs for the same reasons and our details may be different, but the, but the you know, the stories are really the same. And um, to me, that's comforting because it also shows that recovery is so attainable and so powerful. 
and that's what I love about what I get to do now is talk about the fact that, yeah, I mean, I'm not proud of where I was. I, I do believe it's a disease. I believe it's a disease with a choice component. Okay. So the only thing I regret, though, about my alcoholism is the is the hurt that I caused others um, I, because I, I did go down a road that was seemed to have been um, – the antithesis of what everybody thought I was because I looked really good on the outside, especially with my running and winning um, overall races in, in Roanoke and running, you know, qualifying for Boston five times. But even Boston, John, I qualified for Boston five times but never ran it because I, I had this fear. I had kind of this... And you I weren't ready for the big too. time? Or, or? I didn't, I don't know. I was, ner- I, 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 I think for me, again, everybody's story is a little bit different, but I've heard this a lot, especially with uh, addicts and recovery, is that we had this, this perfect storm of arrogance and fear because you're arrogant, you're going to handle it yourself, you're going to outrun it, you're going to do whatever, you're going to sure. muscle through, but there's so much fear of failure that uh, that's what finally, that's what finally took me down and... <clears throat> And, and, Take us and to getting that point. humility. Yes. Take me to that point where it was the lowest of the low. Uh, okay, long story short there, um, I did experience three DUIs within 18 months. Okay, after we so it was, it was not, it, was, it wasn't one epiphany per se, it was a bunch of things that kind of finally struck you over the head yeah but but it was an epiphany it was an epiphany one day when um it was even a couple of months after my third dui everybody would think well my god after one dui well after two well after three you're for sure you're done <clears throat> but it, again because it is a, is a disease and by that point i was i really didn't know what side was up or down <laughs> and i was i was just not in a good place but i um i remember one day and this is pretty dark, but I truly, I didn't want to live. And um, so the only good thing about that now is I do at least have an idea of what that feels like. Um, It wasn't a sadness, it wasn't an anger, it wasn't even a fear, it was an emptiness and a feeling like- It was a resignation? Yeah, it was like, I know I can't ever get over this, but I don't know what to do. I want Tom to be with someone else who, because he's an incredible man, I want my girls to have a good mom. But the thing that stopped me that day, John, and I'll never forget it, I was in my bedroom, was the fact that I could not do it and not have my girls grow up with their mom taking their life. And as weird as that sounds, that taking by the their grace, life. taking well, take their taking mom, her, her. taking her life, okay. yes. So by the grace of God, that that made me go, okay, that's not a freaking option now. And that was almost an angry feeling because I thought, well, I don't know what to do. So I did, because I had at that point tried um, several different forms of treatment, everything other than residential treatment. And, you know, there's lots of different roads to recovery, but for for me, for this alcoholic, it did take residential treatment. So I finally... Um, I, uh, we figured out a way and we got me to a place in Williamsburg, Virginia. And you know, there's no magic pixie dust there. It was a great place. It was where I found my foundation. But the, the, but the, 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 the turning point for me was literally surrendering. It really, you know, it's weird because it, it, it's in one area of my life, actually my faith and my, my recovery where surrender equals freedom. And and, and I grew up being very successful and, you know, in a good way. And the world rewards that. The world rewards us. And it's not the world's fault either, but the world says, you know, you just, you push through and you keep, you know, succeeding. And that's what we are supposed to be doing. 
but what I really needed to be doing was following directions. Like when I went to outpatient treatment, when I went to meetings, when I talked to other people that were sober that I knew I wanted to follow, I would, I just never really followed the directions. And that's what humility is to me today is knowing when to go, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty creative. I can do stuff, but I also need to know when to just follow the flipping directions and stop <laughs> thinking, oh, I'm going to think out of the side of the box and do it my way. So even in running, that's mm-hmm. true. And, you know, after 60-some marathons and 35 ultras and all the other things I've been allowed to do, I love following my coach's directions. I'm, co- I'm coached now by um, Sandy Nypaver, who's a former yes, Ohio former, and former, yes. incredible ultra runner. And um, following her plan just for the past year and a half has changed me as a runner, um, mainly even mentally and emotionally. And that part is, has been the biggest, uh, the biggest gift to me. Is, is this Pam being rediscovered as an elite runner before all the other stuff kind of got in the way? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for, for putting it that way. And um, I'm not did even... Did the stuff get in the way or did you put it in the way? Oh, I, I put it in the you way. You put it in the way. Oh, yeah. That was a choice. That was a choice. Clearly. And again, I'm not proud of it, but, but I'm actually, what I am proud of or grateful for is the fact that I can admit that now. Okay. And not blame something else or blame circumstances or make excuses and... Yeah, I, I, I a lot. We have so much power in this life in our choices. Many of us have circumstances. I mean, in my circumstances, I created a lot of my problem, you know. And um, but many of us have circumstances that we can. And again, I don't want to sound corny, John, but we can rise above, or push through, or go around, or or sometimes not do anything and just be still and that was another thing i had to i continue to learn yeah i mean i just celebrated 13 years of sobriety so the best way for me to explain that too is that i have no desire to drink or use drugs or anything today thank god and there are there are people with more sobriety than me that that do that deal with that desire every day and i respect their program and the way they deal with it for you i don't i have no desire at all and i'm 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 like the happiest uh, designated driver you'll ever meet i (laughs) love i'm serious i'm just i'm almost almost like arrogant but I'm like where am I going yeah (laughs) please let me be so uh but on the other hand it's it's the program though it's the which that word used to annoy the crap out of me too it's like I'm not going to be in a program the rest of my life that's just I can't do that that's weird that's uh, that's too much of a burden well opposite is true opposite is true my program is a program is is living in it's not even about I love 12 steps. I mean, I, anybody listening, if you haven't read the 12 steps, read them because they have nothing to do with drugs and alcohol really. But I love having to be, I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, I still struggle every day, but I love being, um, living in a more genuine life, a more, and so much of that is revolves, revolves around gratitude too. I've been called obnoxiously grateful, which is fine with me because I do. I, I, I mean, I, I thought it would fade over time, but no way. Especially as I experience life as a sober person, especially as a mom, as a friend, different things that, you know, again, I don't think about drinking, but I think about, wow, the old me would have either done this or done that. But no, this is a different me. And I'm thankful for that. And As much as you gave, as, as much as you put yourself in the position, you kind of threw all those obstacles in your way by being a, 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 an alcoholic, yeah. can you get to the point where you credit yourself for 
climbing out and um, being in charge of your recovery with running being a big aspect of that? Yes. Yes. I think I I have. I know I have found a way to credit myself or celebrate myself without without the arrogance and without the... um, you know, without being complacent, because again, even with even though I say I don't have a desire to drink or drug, I, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be complacent about that. I still take that one day at a time. So um, even with my running, John, one of the other thing, another thing I say is I don't run to stay sober. I get to run because I am. Because yeah. another part, especially where I am right today as we sit here, I'm in a really good place with my running. I mean, I just turned 57 the other day, but I'm, I just ran my 60th marathon. I get to, I qualified for Boston again. I'm, I get to my work with Heron Project. I don't get paid to run, but I get to run as part of my job with all of these incredible people across the country that run with us and for us to raise money and resources to help people get in and stay in recovery. So that never, any day of the week, never ceases to amaze me. So yeah, that that I can celebrate. That I can say, wow. Some of it's been the good fortune. Some of it's been, you know, just the grace of God. And some of it's been a little bit of luck. But a lot of it has been me showing up day after day. How did the Heron Project, your connection to it, and describe what you actually do for it. How did that come about for you? Oh, that's another long story, which I will I will cut down to just a few I'm words. Sure you have a cliff it's notes fun. For you. <laughs> I do, I do. It's such a fun running story, though. Someday I'll have to tell you the whole thing. It actually started with the, the 2013 Boston Marathon oh, okay. jacket that I had had um, signed by Bart Yasso, Frank Rogers, and Bill Shorter, Big and names. Mev Kozleski. Kis- they had all signed my jacket at different times, and of course the 2013 jacket was very memorable because yeah. of that year. Yeah. Anyway, I um, I then was going back to run the 2014 Boston Marathon, and um, Runners World did a story on it for their online version and said, um, who do you want to get to sign your jacket when you come back next year? Uh, Tom and I had just watched uh, Chris Heron's 30 for 30 called Unguarded and read his book, um, Basketball Junkie. And of course, being in recovery, and I knew that Chris was running it for his charity uh, Heron Project. Yeah, and knew that John, yeah, John Hancock, actually, they didn't even have a running program to be an official charity of the race, but John Hancock gave Chris <clears throat> um, three bibs to to run the race. Cool. It's kind of as a one and done. So anyway, I say that I want to meet, I'm being interviewed, and um, just thanks to your profession, thanks to social media, it they asked who they who I would have signed the jacket. I said, well, I don't want to walk around like a groupie with a Sharpie, but if I happen to see Chris Heron, I'd want him to, I don't even think he's a runner, but I know he's Because running. of my alcoholism? Yeah, because of his story. Yeah. And so they tweeted it out. Sure enough, Chris Heron. They tag him in Heron Project. He tweets back, I'd be honored to sign your jacket. So we met in, his, in the, at the expo and uh, signed my jacket. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, what happened after that is a, we stayed connected somewhat, and, and his folks, um, marketing director Jenny Swider and his best friend from childhood who is in the, the 30 for 30 and is now the executive director of Heron Project, Kevin Michaelazic, he ran the marathon with Chris, and so I got to meet him that, that weekend. Well, we kind of stayed in touch, and they, they they had people contacting them after the marathon, after Chris finished it, 
because it was such a cool story, it took him six hours. He said, you know, it, it was humbling for him, even though he had a blast. He was like, this is, you know, because he's, he's a, a phenomenal athlete, yeah, still is. Yeah. Anyway, so he said, so they said, we have all these people wanting to run with us or for us, and we don't have a running initiative, and, you know, no offense. But they even joked, they said, no offense, but we don't want to have a running program. <laughs> and I said, no offense taken. I said, because they kind of, and I would have thought the same thing. They thought, oh, we're going to have to put on 5Ks or whatever. Well, anyway, so I just, I, uh, they, they said, would you help us figure out what to do just as a volunteer? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Well, that uh, turned into a lot, I mean, a lot of people, fortunately, because of the power of our sport, because of not just of any sport, but especially the sport of running, and because all a lot of other charities were raising funds for their causes, um, because of that and because of the good news of the, the stigma being broken down, finally, of the stigma of addiction and because not not that long ago i mean i was when i was first sober and i was raising money for a couple of other organizations it was a little bit harder i mean it was actually a lot harder because first of all it was odd oh you're raising money for what and not only was it unusual but it some people were against it no we're not helping people that are addicts okay oh. they need to it was just not it, because of the stigma so okay. whether it was right or wrong it was the way it was so anyway they so they said so but i was finding so much interest for them and you know i mean i happen to work for them now so, so i'm i'm biased but i do see it from the inside they were even back then five years ago doing incredible work and it was it blew me away and i said you guys you don't have to put on 5ks but you can engage these people that want to run with you in other ways so i i kind of we we made up a job as we went along and in the fall of 2014 they took a chance on me i took a chance on them i quit my other job which was full-time raising uh development with ymcas and I was the right person at the, at the right place at the right time. Here I was, a runner in recovery. My, my degree is in journalism, but I have a lot of experience in financial development and so for nonprofits. Sure. So it worked out, and so I said, yeah, let's try this. So I quit my job, and I went on with them full time, and that's what, that was four and a half years ago. So what was it was called THP Runs, the Heron Project Runs. It's now called um, Team Heron Project. My job title is Director of Active Engagement, and I work full-time for them out of my home office in Virginia and travel to uh, races. We have everything from the Boston Marathon, New York City Marathon, to triathlons, 5Ks. Um, we have, right now, as we speak, about... Hi, Nick. I'll talk to you. We have 650 runners across the country. That are 22 ambassadors. That are all linked to the, the Heron that, Project. That run, runs. yeah, raise and raise and, funds and, and awareness. Raise funds. We've in four and a half years we've raised 1.3 million dollars, and that that says so much about not only our, our power of the power of sport, but the power of our stories, because that 1.3 million was was raised from runners, yeah. not you know through grants or other development that we have, which is great for the work of Heron Project, but all of this was done by all these people so it's not me yeah. i get to i call myself the doorman because i get to like open the door and these people come and there's we have had an unusual situation where people have stayed with us we have a private facebook page and facebook is facebook but sometimes it can be really powerful yes. and in our case it has been to where um people not only do more than one event with us 
but they just they meet up they have uh, they develop their own events they um, we've got everyone from we've got an incredible lady here in Northeast Ohio Christy Sievers who's one of our ambassadors yes, Christy. I don't know if you knew about the lake uh, the Lakeshore uh, she put uh, on mini a, ultra yeah, yeah that was for hand that was, for that was hand. all her idea we supported her we sent her all the stuff she's run ultras she's yes. run hundreds yes I know she's Christy. a tremendous she's a great person she's what I call a force for good and she's talk about humble that she'd be mad right now that I'm talking, talking about, about her yeah. but sorry Christy you you deserve it you earn it and we need to share stories like yours so and the cool thing too John that I one more thing I want to point out is that out of these 650 and then all the people that are connected with them we're not all in recovery a lot of people either are supporting someone who is my least favorite reason or way to meet people is because they've lost someone and they there's nothing else you can do other than try to heal yourself and help others so we focus we really focus on the family it is about it's a family disease the family has to be supported they even suffer if absolutely even and especially if the 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 addict or uh, the sick person who's sick doesn't want to get help because you can't force that and so but that doesn't mean the, the the family still needs to stay in that in that madness of the disease so we focus a lot on helping that and on um, on a treatment navigation and aftercare because it's someone can go to treatment but like with me like I said there's no magic magic in Williamsburg when I left there on May 18th which is, is today May 18th? It is, uh, you sure are. It is. <laughs> it, was, it was 13 years ago today. I walked out of treatment. John. Awesome. That's and, fantastic. Um, yeah. And, and that's when that's when the real fear started. Because <laughs> it was like, now what? what? You, yeah. I mean, in a way, you couldn't wait. You can't wait to get out of there. But on the other hand, you can't, you don't know what, you know, that was safe there. And then in my particular story, I had to th- serve three months in jail six months later because of consequences. And I, I did deserve that. I did need to... Thank God I never hurt myself or anybody else, but that's a reality of this disease too. Is it, it is an, it is an, it is not just you're not just hurting yourself. As we know, the the uh, casualties are all yes. around. So it's gotten a little bit worse, but the beauty is is that we are it's getting better. And I'd like to work myself out of a job. I I would love Heron Project to not have to exist, but until it does. We are, you know, there's so many other organizations like us, too, that are now collaborating instead of worrying about, you know, doing our own thing. We collaborate. We are with each other. We're with government entities. We're with other treatment centers because we got to, you know, this is a thing that we got to do together. And whether it's addiction or whatever, there's a lot of darkness in this world. But there's so much power in our light, you know, and in shining that. And again, that sounds corny, but I see it every single day. Yeah, it's crazy that you... You've been able to unpack your life story in the sense that you're you're an individual that you wanted perfection, you wanted to be great at what you did, but you were afraid to be great. Yes. And yes. the alcohol made you feel better right. in some ways. Absolutely. But then, as we continue along your life story, you realize that the only way to get out of this is by myself. Yep. I mean, absolutely. People, programs and, and ask for help and ask, ask for help, for help not and follow directions do, not be afraid to do to do just that to do just that exactly and don't but, you see a lot of uh, former alcoholics that mm-hmm. are they're running ultras or they're they're kind of changing that emphasis and going long form the other absolutely. way absolutely you, you, you know put john in that category, yeah or? i absolutely do and a lot of times people will ask me and others well aren't you just trading addictions and first of all i don't want to be flip but 
I guess my, you know, my my sarcastic answer is, if so, fine, because this is not. Although I have to say, I do put my program or use my tools or however you want to put yep. it onto my running, because yeah, I can let that. I could let that get out of control. I could get all up in my head, either worrying or being super so proud of myself that I just, you know, ran across the country or I just did this or that. But I re- that humility thing is always there. It, that's the first thing that I I need to. I, that, that I use as a tool. So anyway, um, so yeah, I use, one of the things that I was afraid of when I was presented with the opportunity to change was, even though I hated who I was, I hated myself at the time, okay. the irony was I was afraid to change because I didn't think, I didn't want to be a different person. And the truth was, is I didn't need to be a different me. I needed to be the real me, right? The me that wasn't trying to always alter myself or find relief through, you know, some other avenue, ultimately alcohol. So when I, when I realized that the real me, yeah, I am wired that way. I'm wired to, to move and to, to, to push the boundaries a little bit. I love ultras, John, because I choose that discomfort too. That's the other thing. I know you've, you've done Burning River and that's a, that's one of my best examples. Cause that's one of my, that's probably the hardest ultra I've ever done. And, and, uh, overcoming that for me was a big deal because I'm a road runner and that's a lot of trail, blah, blah, blah. But there were so many points of darkness where I wanted to quit. Now, would it have been wrong to quit? No. I mean, that's my own choice, but I knew that I chose this. I'm not sick or, or injured. So I can choose to push through this. And that was, that is such a fabulous feeling knowing that I'm able to do that. And yeah. so that's how I use, it, it mirrors recovery a lot to me because I don't care who you are or how many wonderful resources and, and income or Your life recovery's or not going to be perfect every no, day. No, no. And you have to choose to go through the dark times and then even better, learn from them yeah. and grow them. And so far, that's where I am. So I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I haven't arrived, but man, is this journey beautiful and messy. And I like messy now. And I used to be, and I wouldn't tolerate it, but now I love it. So. Pam, you are a life force (laughs) and I can't, I can't thank you. I'm surrounded by them like you. No, No, I I can't, (laughs) I can't thank you enough for our chat. Many blessings to you. Thank you, sir. We are here with Jim Mackert, who is a legend He's a legacy runner for the Rite Aid Marathon. How many years have you been running, Jim? Uh, since 1951. Started at Lakewood High School and ran cross country at Lakewood High School and then raised a family and then decided I was getting too heavy and started running a marathon just to get the weight off. What year was that that you started running the marathon? Uh, I started back in 1977. 77 was, was Rite Aid or back then? Yeah, yeah that, Revco, that right? was the first Rite Aid. I ran the first Rite Aid and that got me going back again. And had it been a point where you kind of got a, a, a notion in your mind that I've just really got to change my life and the way I'm conducting myself health-wise? Well, when I started training... Because you said you did, you did run cross-country and stuff. Yes. I, I, I didn't feel right at work. I felt like I was getting... I don't know, too lazy or whatever, and I decided that I had to do some running. And when I started doing the running, I found out that the running didn't affect my work, that I felt more confident at work because I was getting in better shape again. And uh, so when they, when I saw Cleveland Marathon was going to have the first marathon in downtown Cleveland, 
uh, signed up for it and had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> next thing I know, I'm running marathons every year. Jim, we're sitting here. You started in 77. We're here in 2019. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm only a public school kid, so I can't mm-hmm. do the math. It's how many years? 42? Well, uh, yeah, it's 42. I've run all of them, the Cleveland marathons, and I was running before I ran the Cleveland marathon. You know, getting because mm-hmm. I had to qualify to try to go to Boston. Gotcha. So I had, you had to run a marathon somewhere else first. And uh, so I had I had run, Cleveland was actually the first marathon that I ran, and then I started running other ones around the area, like six cities that they had at that time, and different ones, like Columbus or whatever. But uh, just been very thankful for my health. Uh, my family doesn't appreciate the fact that I keep doing it. <laughs> They're telling you, come on, Jim, you gotta <laughs> slow down here. And you're saying, why should I, in my early 80s, slow down? What, what, what's the problem here? Well, they, probably the biggest problem is people think you can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you say you guys are full of you-know-what. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. When I started, the neighbors uh, harassed me quite a bit when I was running in the wintertime with my really? compression shorts and my tights and everything. And they had about every nickname you could think of. And uh, not many of them were living now. So... Uh, but uh, I've been very fortunate to have the support of my family, and they'll be down there Sunday for the marathon and waiting at the finish line. I, I, it, it's going to be a hot day, so I'm going to try to do around seven hours if I can. Uh, my legs don't go up and down like they used to. You are, you, you know, I'm sure you can point back to like the PRs that you've had over oh, yes. the years. Oh yes. Yeah. What is your PR here right, in Cleveland? Cleveland, it was two hours and 48 minutes. That's and fantastic. I, I ran in with the lead runner, a gal by the name of Marcy Schramm, and we both sprinted to the shoot and hit the shoot at the same time. And the next day in the paper, they had her beating me by one second. So that inspired me to work harder. <laughs> You said you're going to get her the next year, yes. right? Yes, <laughs> she didn't come back. <laughs> so you're going to continue this? This, this I, is. I mean, 2019 is not the end, but by, by I, I really don't know. At at my age, I'm thankful for my health, yeah. and if I'm healthy next year, I, I hope to try. Uh, uh, you never know. Uh, training through the winter months, and you know, one trip or one fall or twisting a knee or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I've been through back surgery and managed to make it, and I've had a heart operation, and uh, just happened that they, I had enough time to recover to go back out on the course, and I just <laughs> changed my priorities a little bit as far as my finish time. Well, you know something, Jim. A lot of people don't realize that those of us that live here in Cleveland. You know, you've got to get your base training in, and that means you've got to be running in the wintertime, and there's some outdoor running involved there. A lot of people are adverse to that. Some people don't like to go out. I like yeah. to run the trails in the middle of the winter. There's snow. Who cares? Yeah. But a lot of people don't. Well, we we have a lot of beautiful things in Northeast Ohio, and I enjoy, in fact, the wintertime is better because you're cooler, so you don't, you're not like in the summertime where it gets overheated if you're trying to run seriously, it's harder. And so in the wintertime, I, I really enjoy the weather, and it can go down to 10 below zero, and you just wear layers of clothes, sure. and it doesn't affect you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get upset that sometimes people say, well, you can't go out and breathe in the real cold weather. Your, your mouth adapts. <laughs> you just go a little bit slower. You don't, yeah. you don't try to you know, beat any kind of perceived time. You enjoy the experience yes. and embrace the elements. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I know if you're doing the trails, you, you can't beat some, what we have in Northeast Ohio. Uh, you go down on the towpath area or the Rocky River area and the Metro Parks area. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite marathons when I was running more was uh, I would do Cleveland in the spring and I would do the towpath in the fall. Yes. 
and I uh, just loved it when the leaves were turning color and you run along the crushed stones out there and uh, all the animals and whatever that's around the area and you know nobody talking back to you <laughs> well you are the legacy runner here and does that make you feel any extra special because I'm sure people look at you and say Jim, you're special in your own right. You don't need a title as the legacy runner guy. Yeah. Well, I, I just hope that I can inspire somebody else to to uh, get out and exercise. You can do it. You know, it's power of the mind. Uh, the worst thing is when somebody wants to get start exercising and feel better about themselves, they try to do it too fast or they set an unrealistic goal. Yeah. And if you set a realistic goal that I'm going to go out first time try anything, whether it's a 5K or a mile or whatever. Yeah and you go for that goal and have a nice time and then if you feel that you can do be more competitive go from there and uh, that's I, that's the hardest thing is somebody buys a new pair of shoes they see something on television and, and they go out and they're trying to break a world record and it isn't gonna happen <laughs> you know it, it looks that way but it doesn't <laughs> well it's been a pleasure meeting you Jim I wish you nothing but the best long may you run and long may you run strong my friend Sunday was in the low 80s, and many runners struggled due to the very intense heat in Cleveland. And sadly, we have to report today that 22-year-old Taylor Sipo, a recent Walsh University graduate and a member of their soccer team, she hails from Medina, she collapsed and died less than a mile from the finish. We're deeply sorry to hear of this, and we extend our condolences to her family, to the Walsh University family, to her friends that she had known, and people in the running community as well. They held a mass last night for her, and I understand this morning, May the 20th, at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary, her high school alma mater, there was a uh, service for her as well. We don't know the exact details, but know this, the racing community here in Cleveland is deeply touched by Taylor's death. I communicated with Pam, who you heard in our interview, with Mark Godale, an accomplished ultra-marathoner, with Mike Schaefer, who assisted Fox 8 in their coverage. Talked to many runners, and yes, we're all aware of the risks, because I've done long-distance events, ultra-marathons, 50-milers, 100-milers. Even if you're out there running a 10K or a 5K, there are some risks involved. But we know this. We feel, we are touched, we deeply feel the spirit of this young lady, Taylor Sipo, and we just don't want her to be forgotten. We'd love for her memory to live on. People in the running community feel this. People at Walsh University, at her high school, those that knew her. So keep that name in your heart if you can. Taylor Sipo. I just wanted to leave that sentiment with you as we finish things up here on this podcast. Thanks very much to Pam and to Jim for their time. I enjoyed speaking with both of those. And I thank you for listening to this edition of Tellage Talks.